Don't go anywhere, Cole. I need you to hold that on the bottom floor. Wait, there we go. All right, all the little kids in here, King's kids, I need your help passing out flowers to moms, okay? King's kids, come on up here. I got a special assignment for you, too. Listening? You go lower. You might need to sit on the step. Uh, now, listen, first mission is to get your mom or your grandma one of these flowers, and then I need you to come back because what we're going to do is hand out flowers to all the ladies in the church because you don't know who's a mom and who's not, so we're just going to hit everybody. I got enough flowers for that. You, can you handle that? So go hand those flowers out, and if, if, if you have three kids, mom, you get three flowers. That's okay. That's cool. You deserve far more than that. We appreciate you. So all the moms out there, we're saying happy Mother's Day. And those of you who didn't get your mama present, ladies, if you're about to get a rose or get a flower, a carnation, you can, there's your, fir your first present. You can hand that off. We're just handing them out. There you go. We are grateful for our mothers. Oh, they're really going at it. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a, get another one. Get another, if it breaks, get another one. That's okay. Not a problem. Just put that down. We'll take care of it. You get another one. Drop, you can drop that one. I'm not worried about it. Here, I need one. Hand it to me. How about there you go? Get another one. Get a fresh one. Not a problem. We got spares. I'm making them work for their snacks today. Working it, working it. Keep handing them out. I should have clarified you can take more than one. Take like a handful and go do like a whole row. Oh, give me that one. Saving those, those are for something special. <coughs> there we go, there we go. If you're not sweating by the time you're done, I'm, I'm a little worried. Keep rolling, keep rolling. The entertainment value is worth it alone, I'm telling you what. That's good. Don't forget, we have people way, way over there. Way over there. Keep rolling, keep rolling. Go deep, go deep. There we go. Yay! Keep going. There we go. All right. Are you, you're extra mommy today. These front row are getting saturated with flowers. It, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> this is funny. I'm going to put one behind you for your mom, okay? There you go. We, we got everybody. We got everybody. We missed anybody back here. We missed. We missed. We missed. We're good. We're good. We're just double checking. Just double checking. All right. We're good. We're good. Okay. Okay. I think we got them all. All right. Bring all the flowers back. You may keep one if you need one. Oh wait, wait. You need to take. The Jer okay. Make sure Jerrica got one because. What'd you eat it? We all, lunch is like in an hour. You could have made it a little longer, man. You don't. Can I have this one? Yes, you may. You may keep one. You may keep one. All right, I'll take. Yes, you may. Oh yeah! Everybody who has a flower, go with Miss Jerrica. King's kids, you are dismissed. All right, take. You get one more. There you go. There we go. There we go. There we go. Not a problem. All right, quick. You're the last one. Go. Hey, oh, forgot you're back there. 
I'm just going to leave these over here. If you haven't got your mama flower yet for Mother's Day before you go, we've got at least a dozen left, so you can grab a little carnation to, to say thank you. Try not to grab one of the stems. We'll be finding, like, flowers around here just all week. All week. We're just going to be finding flowers around the church. That's okay. Um, glad that we put them to work. Thank you, mothers. Thank you very much. We appreciate you. If your mom is not here today, thank the Lord for her. If you can find a way to contact, text, email, call, do whatever it takes to try and get a hold of your mom or you'll regret it. Right here. Um, if your mom is gone, thank God for her. And find somebody else to be grateful towards. Aiming aiming your care to other people. You've got aunts, you've got cousins, you've got a lot of people this time of year are hurting over the loss of a mom, uh, missing their mom, missing their grandma. If you've been raised by a grandma, call her for Mother's Day. Um, go for it. Go out of your way to express gratitude to people that have served you more than you've served them. That's, have you ever just stopped to consider how many meals you've been served by some mom in your life. Whoa. That is a, starts with this, open wide. <laughs> then you get picky, and then they make you special food, and then they, oh, yeah, be grateful. If you are alive today, there's been a mom in your life. They, they keep the world rolling. We're grateful for them. Our deepest condolences, dude, to you and your family at the loss of Wanda this week. Her funeral will be here tomorrow at 2 o'clock. The meal will be at 1. Um, if anybody wants to help out with the meal or needs to bring anything, see LaDonna. She's spearheading that. She'll, she'll be here early and we'll be receiving the food. So, And this is what Tappans do. And the days that are good, they're here. And the days that are bad, I love you, dudes. I am so encouraged by your mama. So encouraged by your grandma. By your wife. Unbelievable. Quiet, slow and steady faithfulness. Right? I want to be like we need more people like that. Keep doing what you're doing. Didn't know if you'd be here today, and I didn't care if you missed today. We got so much water under the bridge, I'll give you a pass. She wasn't here last Sunday. How dare her not be here last Sunday, right? We knew something was wrong. When Wanda doesn't show up, something is wrong. How much more could that be said of the rest of us? What a testimony. What a testimony. Just so normal down to earth. Um, so I am, I am excited for her funeral tomorrow. The death of a saint is a wonderful thing. There's deep sorrow, but let me tell you what, there is rejoicing. There is deep rejoicing as well. So I mean, I'm a mix, I'm going to be a mixed bag tomorrow. You're just going to catch me. I'm going to be laughing, crying, laughing, crying. So I give you permission to be to be a train wreck as well. Um, 
all of that said and done, Mother's Day, the loss of a saint, we are here to lift up Jesus. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. McKenna will be doing our reading today so you can follow along. She'll be in Philippians 3. What did I give you? 4 through 4 through 11. Philippians 3, <coughs> 4 through 11. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, rush, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Thank you. Pray with me. God, we come to you today with grateful, thankful hearts. We are grateful for what Jesus has done, <clears throat> for who he is, for what he stands for in our lives, that he gives us hope that goes far beyond our suffering, a hope that goes far beyond our death. Nothing will keep us, nothing can separate us from your love, God. Nothing. Remind us of that today and remind us what you have done to make that possible. We don't deserve it. We could never earn it. We stand before you today as a needy people. Some of us have had a great week, and some of us haven't. Some of us have experienced great loss, and some have experienced great gain. So we ask for you to help us find what we need today from this passage of Scripture and use it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Guide us into the truth that we need so that we want to get up tomorrow and do the right thing. And to love people like you have loved us. Use your word to change our hearts. That is, that is our only hope, God. That you would change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this lesson is Grace Upon Grace Upon Grace. So you're going to fill in your blanks in your outline. But then to the side, I want you to write them like that. Stacked. Because that's how Paul is going to uh, inform us today of what God has done for us in Christ. We experience grace, but it is stacked upon grace, and it is stacked upon grace. Coming to Jesus, it is a multi-layered experience. He doesn't just meet us where we want him to meet with us. He meets us on every conceivable area of our lives, 
And part of what it means to mature in Christ is to begin to understand the deeper levels of grace that he has given to us, the deeper levels of grace that he has given to us before we knew him, the deeper levels of grace that he made possible before we were even born, and the deeper levels of grace that he put in place so that you could find him when you were 8, 18, or 88. Jesus is a deep, deep well that we can all draw from Paul this morning is going to send down his bucket and give us a few shots in the face because they're not gentle swigs. Don't forget this, wham. Don't forget this, wham. And they are refreshing, but they're way more than you can take in one mouthful. So these are going to be truths that we need to meditate on. I'm focusing on verses 8 through 11. Let me remind you what we did last week. Paul covered in chapter 3, verse 3, he addressed three marks of maturity. This is a slide from last week. Worship by the Spirit. Those who are in Christ, they worship God by the Spirit of God. They glory in Christ, not in themselves. And they don't place any confidence in what they can do. Their confidence is in what God can do and in what Jesus has done. And as we saw last week in verses 4 through 7, Paul explained why he personally did not put any confidence in his flesh. In short, it let him down. All the rituals, his nationalism, his regionalism, his tribalism, his obedience to the law, his rules, his regulations, all of those things, he says, I kept them, I kept them, I kept them, and I missed God. That's the problem with religion. You can do a lot and miss Jesus. Paul says, no confidence in that stuff. Those things can and will lead you astray. Avoid them. They are dangerous. They are poison. And in verse 7, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, my old life, my old way of being, quote-unquote, religious, those things I've counted as loss, here's a good phrase, for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. I count my old achievements as loss for the sake of Christ. In today's verse, verse 8, more than that, or indeed, he's adding to his thought here, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So in verse 8, here's the next blank. Paul shows resolve to move on. Resolve to move on. More than that. More than what? More than seeing Jesus as the Christ, the one I need. More than that, I'm also excited to know him. So Paul gives up his old life because Jesus is Lord. That's last week. Write that down. Paul gives up his old life because Jesus is Lord. And then he turns a corner here. And more than that, more than just recognizing I need to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, more than that. He is excited 
to count all things lost for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That's where he's going today. What does that look like? Paul, could you flesh that out a little bit for me? Now, theologically, Paul could have used three words for the next three verses, but he doesn't. He's very kind to us. He doesn't assume we are all theologically deep as he is, but he is about to address three extremely important, robust theological words without ever mentioning them. That's why we think he's such a great communicator. He kind of brings things down. So I'm the one who's going to be the bad communicator and make them uh, complicated. Only to show you what he's doing is awesome. So he's got the resolve to move on in verse 8. Verses 9 through 11 have been called the essence of Pauline theology. The essence of Pauline theology. He's trying to build up here. What he's about to talk about, he talks about in all of his letters. What he's about to talk about, he introduces in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, which ends up being a treatise, a huge book, the book of Romans, on theology and what it means to be right with God. Here are the seeds for that book. This is the book of Romans in like three verses. Like, well, how do you do that? You simplify it. You boil it down. The essence. These are things that he talks about in all of his letters. And not just Paul. I first just typed in Paul there. Pauline theology. But it, it really is reflective of all the apostles. They all do this. They all focus upon Jesus. So he's consistent with every other writer in the New Testament. How and what does he say? Verse 9. That I may be found in him. Here it is. Not having a righteousness of my own. Derived from the law or myself. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Ladies and gentlemen, this may be one of the most important verses we've talked about ever. Not having a righteousness of my own. Me doing right and reaching up to God. Wrong. Not having a righteousness derived from the law or my works or my achievements, not right with God because of what I've done. Not right with God for what I've done. But righteousness or being right through faith in Christ, and he clarifies it, he says it twice, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God to me. You see the difference? Me trying to be right, grasping, struggling, instead of receiving. That's the human dilemma. That is our problem in all areas of life, in everything we've ever done wrong. Sin is seeing, taking, mine. Faith is seeing, waiting, accepting whatever God gives you. That's faith. 
And sometimes he gives you tears. And you say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Bless the name of the Lord. That's faith. Faith accepts its circumstances. Doesn't always stay in its circumstances. If we see that God makes a way out of our pain and suffering, we can, we can move out of our pain and suffering. But if God brings it, and we can escape it, we find him in the middle of it. Paul says, I am tired and I am done with trying to be right. He spent most of his life trying to do that. And he says it's rubbish. That's a really nice English word for poo-poo. He says it's dumb. Everything I did in my past, all my achievements, it's excrement. It is not even worth putting on the bottom of your shoe. It's a waste. You trying to make yourself right, that ladder goes nowhere. Because when it comes right down to it, your, your ladder of righteousness is not even leaning up against the right building. You're not going to get anywhere near pleasing God. God says, faith. Faith, trust me, look to me. So verse 9, this is the word justification. Write that down. Justification, we need to clarify what that means. I've heard it said, just as if I never sinned. Well, that's part of it. That means you're innocent. Yeah, just as if I never sinned. But it also means declared right. Just as if I always obeyed. Imagine I had to go to court tomorrow and I'm standing before the judge and he says, Craig, is it true? These charges against you. And I say, yep, I did do that. Okay, the judge rereads what I did. I hit somebody with my car and I killed them. And the judge says, you're innocent. Okay, so I'm not guilty of doing wrong. You see that? How could that be possible? Oh, maybe that person was committing suicide. Maybe I was running down the, driving down the road and they jumped out. They killed themselves using my car. Like, that's a possibility. So I'm, I didn't, I wasn't like I was swerving to hit him, right? Like, he jumped out. I'm innocent. I didn't do wrong. But that's not the word justification. Because then if the judge actually turns to me and says, not only are you innocent, but you did the right thing, that would be you are justified in hitting that person with your car and killing them. Because that guy just unloaded his weapon on a school bus full of children and he was reloading and Craig saw it and Craig mowed him down with his car. Not only am I innocent of doing wrong, the judge can declare me, yeah, you did right. That's what justification means. It means you not are only declared innocent by God, but you're declared as 
right as you can be because you did the right thing. Now, here's the here's the disconnect, because there is no analogy in where any of us has done the right thing. (laughs) We are all actually guilty. We're not innocent and we haven't perfectly done the right thing. So there is no way that we in a court of law can ever be called innocent or righteous. Unless God steps in. And he says, I got the final word, kind of why he's God. And he says, if you trust me, if you believe me, if you look to me, I can call you righteous. On my terms, not my terms. (laughs) On his terms, not human terms. Righteousness, for you to be declared righteous, has to be an act of God. And he's not going to respond to how you've lived your life. He's going to respond to where you're aiming your heart. When God gives us righteousness, we call that the word imputation. Write that word down. Jesus' righteousness laid on me. That's essentially what Paul is talking about. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. That's a false righteousness. That's a self-righteousness. That's a hollow righteousness. That's a meaningless righteousness. That's works-based. But the righteousness which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So what is God looking for before he declares anybody righteous? Faith. What is faith? Faith is a belief that God will do what God says he's going to do. And letting him do it. And waiting for him to do it. It is, at its best, patience. It's patience. Do we live in a very patient world? Little little thought experiment. The next time you roll through Walmart, evaluate how many of those meals can be cooked within 10 minutes and how many of them will take longer. Like, we are the easy bake society. Like, we want everything prepackaged, peel it open, eat it. Peel it open, heat it up, and eat it. Oh man, I have to heat that for three minutes. I don't know. Instant beverages, instant everything. We're not patient. This is patience. This is saying, God, I need you to declare me righteous. Without that, I'm sunk. But he doesn't stop in verse 9. He goes from verse 9, which is justification. He adds another element in verse 10. He says that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The word I want you to write down for verse 10 is sanctification. Sanctification. If justification is being declared right by God based upon faith, not works, then sanctification is the process 
for the rest of your life, growing, learning, trusting God, loving God more and more, loving other people more and more. It is the idea of living for God now through faith in Jesus today. Next blank. Living for God now through faith in Jesus today. It makes our Christianity, it makes our faith present. Yes, there needs to be a time in your life when you make an exchange with God. You stop trying to be right on your own and you realize, I can never be that right. God, I need you to make me right. That's the moment of salvation, justification. God declares you righteous. You are born again. But then the bulk of your life is going to be spent here where you start out as a baby Christian and you start to grow in your understanding and knowledge and love for God. That's what Paul's talking about. Verse 9 was, I'm justified. And verse 10, all that I may know him. Don't you already know him, Paul? Maybe you shouldn't be teaching. If you don't know Jesus already, why are you even teaching us, Paul? You don't know him already? <clears throat> he knows him. So what is he talking about? More. I want to know him. And then what does he say he wants to know? His power. Ooh. That's a hot word right now in a lot of worship songs. And this is where we have to tap the brakes and say, beware of the prosperity gospel. There are many preachers, teachers, and songs out there that say we can use the power of God now to overcome all sickness, overcome all poverty. We can use the power of God now to break every addiction, to break every stronghold. I'm just resonating with words that I've heard in a lot of contemporary music and a lot of contemporary theology that is shallow, that is weak. I want the power of God to overcome. I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. Time out. Where does Paul go in the next breath? The power of his resurrection. Everybody says, yay, amen. And then he says, and fellowship with his suffering. Like, well, I don't want that part. Then you don't want Jesus. Then you've got the wrong Jesus. You've got a watered down Jesus. Paul wants to know the power of resurrection. And he wants to fellowship with Christ in his suffering. Because that's how you get closer to Jesus, in your suffering. Nobody's going to come crawling to God for help if everything's going great in their lives. Are you kidding me? What a joke. That's silly. And even if life is going great, it's probably not as great as you think it is. Something's going to come along and make it not so great. Live long enough, you're going to hurt. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. There are going to be broken relationships. There are going to be tears. There are going to be rebellions. There are going to be, there's going to be injustice. You're going to have bad bosses, bad teachers, bad everything. You're going to have bad days. Other people are going to have bad days. You may be abused. You may be taken advantage of. You live long enough on this planet, you will suffer. Paul is turning all of his suffering into something that helps him draw nearer to Jesus. That's sanctification. Living for God now through faith in Jesus today. And I just had a thought that I didn't put in my notes.
I've never had to counsel with anybody who is doubting their salvation who is doing that. When you don't live this way, it throws everything into turmoil. You start to doubt yourself. You start to doubt God because you, you, well, maybe God's not with me today. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm having a bad, I'm having a bad day. I'm, I'm far, I, put, put, let's put our finger on it. Have you sinned? Hell yeah. Sin brings doubt. Doubt brings darkness. Darkness brings despair. Despair takes our focus off of God and makes much of us and self and pity party. <laughs> when we focus even on our own sins, that can be a dangerous moment of selfishness. Instead of reflecting on the righteousness of God, you're not right anyway. Get over yourself. Confess it to God. Get up. Move on. Go do right next time. If there's something you can fix, go fix it. You need to apologize, go apologize. You need to return something or repair something that you've broken or that you stole, go do it. Go make things as right as you can, but then you remember God is the one who makes you right. When you live like that day after day, step after step, you're living in the light. Your shoes are lighter. You walk differently. When you know you're right with God and you're right with as many possible people as you can be, it changes you. That's sanctification. He wants to change you. Do it. Live like it. To know Jesus' power, write this down. To know Jesus' power, you need to feel his pain. Now, you cannot feel all of his pain, but you can identify with sorrow, with suffering. And here's the key word that Paul's already brought up. Humility. When you humble yourself, before other people, you, when you humble yourself before other people, you're going to get hurt. That's the way of Jesus. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. In his ministry to save humanity, Jesus was essentially homeless at the end of his life. He was alone often. He used it for prayer. Jesus was living from meal to meal, and I think he prayed graciously every one of those meals jesus was rejected more than he was received slighted mocked cursed a man of sorrows acquainted with grief are you a follower of jesus then why do we expect any different why do we expect the world to treat us better than it treated jesus that's just silly so here's what Paul sees in verse 10. Paul sees power and suffering intertwined, and that is good. He sees the power of the resurrection and fellowshipping with Jesus' sufferings. It's a world of sin. We're going to suffer. Good. We need to. It helps us identify with Jesus, and it helps us understand what Jesus went through while he was here on our behalf. When we suffer, we realize, oh, yeah, he he suffered. You think Jesus had temptations? All of them. Maybe not in, in specifics like you do. Internet pornography, methamphetamines. Those were not practical temptations in his life, but did he have sexual temptations? Absolutely. Did he have the temptation to escape reality and, and maybe get drunk? Yeah, he had those temptations. He had all of those temptations. Everything we are suffering through, he has suffered through. 
And he was victorious over it. And so Paul sees these two as intertwined, and it is a good thing. Why? Because one, it helps him love Jesus more. When he suffers, Paul understands what Jesus suffered through. And even though Jesus suffered and was tempted in all ways, he never gave in. That's going to make you love him more. Because that's what makes him your savior. It's also good because it helps others see the love of Jesus clearly in us. Pain, suffering in your life, people are watching. Is it going to help them see that you have a king on a throne who says it is finished and who says I'm coming again? If you have a king and you really have faith that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, you should be unshaken. That doesn't mean unfazed. You can still weep. You can still cry. You can still hurt and suffer. But you're going to do it differently. And it's going to help other people see Jesus clearly through you, more clearly through you. So number one, uh, the suffering in Paul's life helps him Love Jesus more. And number two, it helps others see the love of Jesus very, very clearly. Very clearly. You really don't know what makes a person until you see what breaks a person. You don't know. Bring it on. Jesus' suffering made him better. Have you thought about that? Jesus' suffering made him better. Was he already that way before he suffered? Yeah, but now we see him more clearly as, as a man among children. He is Lord. He is King of kings. Ain't nobody suffered as much as Jesus and won. Everybody else has given in to temptation. Everybody else has given in to the pain. Everybody else has lashed out or taken out on others. Not Jesus. Father, forgive them. Some of his last words. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Jesus knew what they were doing. He knew he was innocent. Mm. So we have justification. That's our past. It's what makes us right with God sanctification that's our present where we are living now how we are living with god and for god now in this life and then verse 11 caps it off in order that i may attain to the resurrection from the dead this is glorification write it down this is when god restores your intended image of him your reflection of him perfectly 1 Corinthians 13, make a note to the side there. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 12 and 13. Let me read those to you. Now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, the future, when we're with God, we will see him face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully and be known fully that's beautiful what a nice way to put it now we see dimly 
you, you're not going to know why. You're not going to know why you're suffering. You're not going to always get an answer from God. He doesn't owe you an answer. He's God. You're not. You're following Jesus. Jesus suffered. Suffer well, my friends. And rejoice that God counts you worthy of suffering. It trains you up. It disciplines you as a son and as a daughter of God to learn to trust him through thick and thin. Trust him. It's a good thing. We're so unaccustomed to rejoicing over suffering. We want to mope in our suffering. We want to complain. I need you to pray about my suffering. Come, bring that, bring that suffering and say, God is good. I'm suffering and I'm still alive. I'm suffering and I'm going to be okay. I'm suffering and it's not my fault. It's just the way of the world. Or I'm suffering and it was my fault. And God is right and I should be suffering over it. Praise God. We can even take all of our suffering and use it to glorify, to lift up, to praise His name. Our final glorification is when the image of God is restored in us. And I've got a couple thoughts on that. Your next blank. Image restored. What does that mean? Number one, image restored means we will be ruling and maximizing planet Earth, the new heavens and the new Earth, with God's presence restored. We live, here, here's, here's creation, Genesis 1. God overlaps heaven and Earth. Adam and Eve sin, all of humanity starts pulling away from God. Now we're on our own. God sins and sends and chases, sends prophets since jesus and here's jesus's message god is coming back the kingdom of god is at hand god is about to overlap heaven and earth again and you better get ready because nobody unrighteous can live in his kingdom nobody unrighteous can live in god's kingdom so here's the unrighteous coming to the he's going to clean it up so be right have faith in god trust in god and cry out to god for salvation If you do, then when he comes back, he will glorify you. And it's not just about making you perfect. It's making you perfect so that you can reestablish, ruling, maximizing heaven and earth. Ruling with all authority, all dominion. There are so many things on this planet that we have not yet discovered or unlocked. There are so many healing properties we're still discovering. So many mysteries about animal life and plant life that we have yet to uncover. In heaven, we are not sitting on a cloud like a bunch of naked babies playing harps and getting bored. There is no boredom with God. He is a happy, exciting, creative God. Heaven is a place of exploration and life and new life and and maximizing everything God has created. It's going to be awesome. Not a bore. And here's the second thing that your restored image, your glorification is going to help you with. You are going to know and love Father, Son, and Holy Spirit better. Fully. You're going to know and love Father, Son, and Spirit. You're going to know and love God to the best of your created abilities. We are operating on a very small percentage right now. Anytime you choose to sin, you're choosing to love something more than you love God. That's an indicator that you are operating on a very small bandwidth of faith. We need to bump that up. We need to bump that up. That's sanctification now. So that and glorification 
we get to rejoice that all things are restored. And when all things are restored, we will be a new humanity. Last blank. New humanity. And we will experience eternal fellowship with God. Let me put this back into context. The Apostle Paul in chapter 3 is reminding the Philippian believers of all that they have in Christ. He gives them three marks of maturity. We worship by the Spirit. We glory in Christ. We have no confidence in the flesh. He explains what it means to have no confidence in the flesh. And in today's passage, he shows us what it means to glory in Christ and why we can worship in the Spirit. He's tying it all together because that's what he does. Paul is a genius. God is using him to make a lot of sense. And it comes together. Now, I'm about to show you a slide with a lot of words on it. Don't write them down. Don't write them down. Are you out of room? Good. Because we're going to cover some things on this last slide, and you're going to evaluate, and you're going to think deeply, which one of these statements most resonates with me? And you just have to write one down, okay, Steve? Just one. You just got room, you got room along the bottom. You can turn it sideways, go along the side. And so we've, here's the big ideas. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Past, present, future. Next slide. That's how we live. Are we going to live in the past? Are we going to live in the present? Are we going to live in the future? Am I going to spend more time reflecting on who I was? Am I going to spend more time trying to improve who I am? Or am I going to spend more time reflecting on who I will be? Another way of t- thinking about salvation is I've been declared, I like the middle one in the blue, declared right. So now I'm acting right. And even if I fall short, someday I'll be made right. My salvation, in God's court, He has declared me righteous. In God's family, He's declared me a son. In God's kingdom, I'll be a priest and a king forever. We are God's children. We're God's ambassadors. We're God's co-heirs. He justifies us so we can be adopted as His children. He sanctifies us so we can tell other people about him as ambassadors. And he will glorify us so we can rule and reign with him in all eternity. 1 Corinthians. Faith, hope, and love. My faith in Christ allows God to impute his righteousness to me. I live in hope that in Jesus I have all that I need. And love will endure forever. I've been touched by the holiness of God. That's my salvation story. I am now growing in the holiness of God. That's who I am right now. And one day I will radiate the holiness of God. That's my future. That's my purpose. That's my hope. Which one of those resonates with you? If you had to boil down your testimony, who God is, what he means to me, how he's impacted my life, pick one of those. I want you to share it at your small group this week. I want you to stew on it and reflect on it. If you come up with a new one this week, share that in your small group. Come up with one of these. Pick one of these and write it down. Which one of these really resonates with you?
Paul couldn't make up his mind, so he pretty much uses all of them in all of his letters. That's why he writes so much. He has so many different ways to express what God has done for him and how he appreciates that. But this week, think deeply on one of these. Put on your mirror. Make a t-shirt. Post it on your wall. Share it. If you're artistic, put it in a picture. Make a drawing. Write a poem. Do something. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Bow your heads and close your eyes as we wrap up here. Just want to have a moment of reflection. And remember that we are a people. If we commit our lives to Jesus, we are a people with a forgiven past. We are a people (coughs) with a very busy present. God has many things for us to do, many things for us to learn. It can seem overwhelming at some times, but just take them one bite at a time. But we also need to keep the idea on the forefront of our mind that God has a future and a hope. Whatever is lacking in us, He will make it up. However we fall short, He will bridge the gap. Because we do not have to reach God through our own works of righteousness. We need to be a people who open our hands and our hearts and say, God, save me, change me, finish me off. That is our prayer today, God. You hold all of our past, all of our present, and all of our future. We want to be known as your children. We want to be your ambassadors today. But oh, how we look forward to ruling and reigning as co-heirs with Jesus in the life to come. Thank you for Paul's many, many words. Change us. We thank you for for the families you've put us in, for the mothers you've surrounded us with and comforted us with, for the grandmothers and the aunts that have stepped in, and even for a few dads who filled in some gaps. We are grateful. Grateful for the mothers who aren't here. Grateful for those who are about to become mothers. It is such an interesting life you give us, God. In all of it, we ask that Jesus be lifted high. Help us to not get so busy that we miss Him. That's our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.